You're listening to Mischief Media. Hey, Clancy, you remember how when we used to drive to work? Uh, when we used to what to wear? And we would just put on a podcast or a book and learn something passively while doing something else like driving. Is that why people listen to us to learn? Oh, I hope not. No, uh, they should listen to us to laugh. To learn, they should check out Knowable. It's a new app where experts offer audio courses in leadership, business, wellness, and more. Okay, well, this sounds perfect for me. Sometimes I have a hard time reading ad copy, much less entire books. Yeah, and Knowable courses are perfect for that. With fun 10-minute daily audio lessons from top thinkers, experts, authors, and weekly live discussions, it's perfect for multitasking. So it's like Spotify for personal development? Yeah, that's a solid elevator pitch. Good job. Comprehensive podcast-style audio courses. What are they about? Well, there's a course on improv that the UCB did and another one on launching a startup with a founder of Reddit, uh, Alexis Sohanian. Oh, so I could learn improv while doing chores? Yes, and you could start doing chores. How dare you? Get hundreds of hours of educational content with Knowable's entire library of courses, all ad-free at a special rate of $50 a year for a limited time. But guess what? You can get an extra 20% off for being one of our listeners. Just download the Knowable app and use code NONPLUSSED for 20% off your subscription and tap into the knowledge of 200 experts at the top of their field ad-free. Again, just download the Knowable app and use code NONPLUSSED for 20% off your first subscription. I'll think to that. And one for Mahler. You can hear me okay? I think so. Yeah, you can hear me? Yeah. Okay. Got the sneezing ADR. Good. Episode of Non Plus to Gay Romp through the Disney Plus Vault. That over there is my husband Clancy. Over there is my husband Josh. And this is Non Plus, a mischief media podcast. The summer is coming to an end. We shall soon transition into fall. And as such, we're still feeling a little lackadaisical. Yeah. A little lazy do. Which is another way of saying we're going to do another TV show, like a series episode for yeah, this I don't, for this week. We're not being lazy here. We're just. We're, I mean, we did the work. It's just not as intensive. Whatever. We'll get into it. First, yeah. some housekeeping. Uh, Mischief merch. Again, we've got. It's autumnal. They've got a Godric's Hollow Farmer's Market sweater. That's, that's cute. Um, very. It's got very, you know, Ivy League warm apple cider pumpkin spicy kind of vibes. Cute. There's also the spooky collection that we mentioned on our last episode with the book and <laughs> Sanderson Witch Museum merch. If you get anything from the NCU line or any nonplussed merch, you can use code nonplus10 to get 10% off that purchase. Yeah. All right, what are we looking at in the news this week, Clance? Um well, uh, Disney Plus has hit 116 sub- 16 million subscribers. Yes. My, not just 116. There's 116 people. That, that capital M means million. <laughs> million. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Luca Loki and Cruella DeVille. Uh, Disney has now attracted, uh, according to recent, it's their Q3 report, I think, managed to attract 12.4 million new subscribers between April and June, wow. uh, which catapulted them up to 116 million. Ended the quarter with that number worldwide. Uh, they reported this on Thursday. Analysts had been hoping for 112 to 115. So pew, pew, pew. 
they did well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, surprise, surprise. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely going well, and I hope that they can figure out how to translate that to the actors that are portrayed on the screen. True. Well, <laughs> and I, I feel like uh, savvy negotiators will understand the landscape a bit more going forward. Even oh, for sure. It, it's interesting to think about what Disney Plus's launch would have looked like in a year that there wasn't a pandemic. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, also, we've got a Home Alone revival coming this fall. Uh, Disney Plus said, uh, I think this was this past Thursday, that 20th Century Studios Home Sweet Home Alone, the revival of the Home Alone holiday film franchise, will premiere exclusively on Disney Plus November 12th. Uh, it stars Ellie Kemper, Rob Delaney, and Archie Yates. Uh, it's directed by Dan Mazur, and it's the first in a line of play in Disney refreshes of Fox titles post-merger. Oh, that's cool. And that's I interesting. Want, I wonder if Macaulay Culkin will have a little cameo. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Um, we also got the trailer for Star Wars Visions. Yes. Uh, Have you, did you watch it? I hadn't watched it yet. Not this one. No. It's the first trailer for the upcoming uh, series called Star Wars Visions. And yeah. it's an anime anthology kind of like Animatrix. Or they did mm -hmm. that one around Batman Begins. That was kind of like animated shorts in different styles. But it was all anime themed. Um, it's a lot to take in visually. The series will tell all new Star Wars tales through the singular style and tradition of Japanese anime. Yeah, it looks super, super cute. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in addition to the trailer, which runs two minutes long, the Japanese and English dubbed cast. Uh, there's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Bobby Moynihan, uh, Tamara Morrison, yep. Shelby Young, Karen Fukuhara, Simu Liu, who's going to be Shang-Chi. Yeah. Masioka, David Harbour. Oh, yeah. Okay. Henry Golding, Jimmy Chung. George Takei, uh, among Man. many more. So yeah, um, that's going to be exciting. That'll be a fun one to watch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I like I like those sort of anthology things. Like, I mean, that was what was cool about, um, you know, when Bob's Burgers did like the guest episode where the, everybody edited, like did their own. Oh, the different animators for each scene. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really cool episode. I think that'll great. be neat. Yeah. Um, all righty. Well, let's get into it. Um, most of our research was from Wikipedia and just our own watching. We didn't really use any of our other uh, sites and resources for this one. Cause this one's a little bit different. Yeah. This is almost like doing an episode about DVD extras, except it's its own series. Yeah. So what are we discussing to that point? Well, today we are discussing Disney galleries, star Wars, the Mandalorian finale episode. Yeah. So it's season two, episode two of the Disney gallery, star Wars, the Mandalorian. Yes. Season one covers um, sort of more general topics about the series, directing the legacy right. of the franchise, the cast, digital and practical effects, more broader scope production concepts. Yeah. Episode one of season two talked about season two as a whole. Right. And then this latest episode, we'd mentioned a couple times, figured let's dive in, specifically talks about the season two finale. Um, and and most importantly, like the crucial sort of like surprise and spoiler alert if you haven't watched. Yeah, the Mandalorian. If you, yeah, if you haven't watched the last episode, stop listening here. Go watch go it, it and come back. Welcome back. Um, <laughs> this basically centers around uh, Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker coming yes. into this, dipping into this portion of the lore and the story. Yeah, it, it's it's it it was a a surprise that I didn't see coming. And you thought it was Ben Kenobi. I you did. thought it was Obi Wan, and then I realized that he's dead already. Yes. 
Um, so featured in this, uh, I mean, it's not a featurette. Normally we would consider this a featurette, but featured in this episode. Chris, we've got uh, episode director Peyton Reed, who did uh, Bring It On, Down With Love, and Ant-Man. Yeah. John Favreau, of course, who wrote the episode and produces the series. Correct. Um, and is also Happy Hogan and was in Swingers and... I mean, he's, he's fucking a, John Favreau. We have a visual effects supervisor, Richard Bluff. Yep. And then ILM visual effects supervisor, John Knoll. Uh, VFX producer, Abigail Keller. Virtual production visualization supervisor, Landis Fields. He's the guy who fed the computers all of the footage of Mark Hamill. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Lola visual effects supervisor, Trent Claus. Yep. And then supervising sound editor, Matthew Wood. Yeah. Um, cast from the show that were featured, we've got Omid Abtahi as Dr. Pershing, mm-hmm. Tamara Morrison as Boba Fett, Gina Carano as Cara Dunn, <laughs> Mercedes Vernado as Casca Reeves, Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan Cries, Ming-Na Wen as Fennec Shand, Giancarlo Esposito as Moff Gideon, and Mark Hamill, of course, and of course, Pedro Pascal as Mando, Yeah, whose full character name I forget, but it, it is of little consequence to what we're actually talking about today, which is this episode of Disney Gallery. Right. So... If you haven't watched the episode or if you need a refresher, Clancy, go ahead and give us the brief plot synopsis of the Mandalorian episode. Oh, I'm doing this. Okay, here we go. Here we go. After boarding and commandeering an Imperial shuttle carrying geneticist Dr. Pershing, Mando and Boba reconnect with Bo-Katan and Koska Reeves to get their help rescuing Grogu from Moff Gideon. They fake a chase, crash into the launch tube of Gideon's cruiser, uh, begin infiltrating. Mando deals with some dark troopers. Gideon threatens Grogu with the dark saber. Shenanigans ensue, and in his prime prehubris, Luke Skywalker arrives to save the merry band of misfits and take Grogu under his wing. Well done, good job, hey. honey. So yeah, that's that's the episode of Mandalorian. But yeah, this behind the scenes looks was was rad. They spent some time talking about how they got Mark Hamill. Which was a whole thing in and of itself. Yeah. So like they effectively went to Mark Hamill with a script like John Favreau and Dave Filoni went to his house, gave him the script. He was they going, brought wardrobe and right. they brought Grogu. Right. He went off into his house somewhere to go read through it in real time while Dave Filoni and, and John Favreau were like worried that he wasn't going to accept and, this role. And Mark Hamill's wife. Yeah. Apparently yeah, yeah was yeah. in the room too. I feel like that's exactly how that would have played out. It, like it is how it played out. Well, I know, but like that's <laughs> in like how I fi- figure Mark Hamill deciding to do things. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's, well, he talks about like, it's course. a deliberate decision and how he thought, um, he always figured they'd fill in the gaps between Jedi and the sequel trilogy. But I just assumed they'd get an age appropriate actor, you know, cause, and I didn't really think about it all that much. I just thought, Oh, if they, want to tell stories of Luke post Return of the Jedi, uh, I wonder who they'll get. When they said they were going to use the de-aging process they used in in the Marvel movies, I was just gobsmacked. I didn't answer right away. I mean, I had to think about it. But the more I thought about it, I thought, this is like really an opportunity that was completely un- unexpected, but something that almost was uh, a responsibility. I just It's so funny because when they're talking to him about it, the years melt away from Mark Hamill's face when he gets that like little mischievous look. Oh yeah. When he's just like, (laughs) (laughs) um, and it's just like, Oh fuck. He just de-aged himself 40 years by looking, by clearly enjoying this work and, and, and what it means. Yeah. It was just just magical. Harrison Ford, who seems to avoid it like the plague. (laughs) I don't even think he avoids it like a plague. I think he just treats it like any other job for sure. You know what I mean? Cause he was a blue collar laborer before he was an actor. And I think he sees acting work 
just like any other work. He's like, yes, that's a job I did. Thank you. I moved on. on. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's genuinely more cantankerous in, in, in terms of, um, his real life than I think Mark Hamill is. There's that. (laughs) We watched it today. The David Blaine. Oh, David Blaine. Where, um, he spooks Harrison Ford. Take it out. Go ahead. Pull it out. Open it up, Harrison. No, that's, no, no, that's just crazy. Get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> to the point where... Get the fuck out of my house. Get the fuck out of my house. They also talked a little bit here about the leak prevention that had to happen. Because bringing yeah. Mark Hamill into this and that being a huge spoiler in and of itself was hard to do. I mean... Well, John Favreau mentions that they didn't actually announce Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano yeah. or Tamura Morrison as Boba Fett. Yeah. Like that leaked effectively. And then yeah, they before confirmed the it. Up. And so they just assumed that that would also happen with Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And to the point to where like in the scripts that they handed out, they, they referred to Luke Skywalker as Plo Koon's. Which I'd is, never heard Plo Koon before I watched this episode. Never. And now I've once. heard it like 18 times. So many times yeah. they say Plo Koon in the 40 some odd minutes of this episode. But I feel like that's what they were having to do during production. They literally had to erase. Well, they even Luke show Sky- like on yeah. the dailies, they had to put like a, a previs of Plo Koon. Right. And um, he's, he's a Jedi, another Jedi from the prequel series. Right. And Dave Filoni is a fan of, of that. He says the deep core nerds or the deep core fans know who his favorite Jedi is. It's fairly well known by deep core fans that Plo Koon's my favorite Jedi. And a lot of people, if Plo Koon from the script got out, would assume, well, of course, because Dave likes Plo Koon. So, you know, there's these layers of intrigue that we try to weave. And uh, so it sort of kind of helped sell the lie a bit because it like. Sure. And we've talked about this. I mean, look. When you work in a creative field like that, that leak anxiety is real. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I worked in video games for long enough that like the gray in my beard is from worrying about whether or not things get leaked. And when you cross that finish line, regardless, um, if you manage to get there with a minimal amount of accidental splash damage, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, it feels good. It's a a creative achievement to go. Yeah, we did it. We kept it a secret. Um, But I I feel like that's a very narrow thing to like that may or may not be. a well, universal feel. Well, you know how much it sucks when it does leak. Like it honestly, like right. But what I'm saying is, is I don't know that that everybody understands how much things suck when they leak. I mean, you can kind of. It's the difference between sympathy and empathy. Like I, my sure. point is, is watching this, I was like, oh yeah, I understand that anxiety. Right. Um. But it, it was it was so funny to me how they even talked about like minimizing the um production crew on set because of course they had another scene that they were shooting. Robert Rodriguez's episode. Yeah. Was um being shot over in Simi Valley. But they cut to this one woman who's clearly like an onset PA going, all right, if you don't need to be here, leave. And I'm just like, that's- As you can probably imagine, um, part of the secrecy too, right? Anybody that doesn't need to be up here, if we could clear, thank you. Even when we were going to be shooting with these characters on set, most of the company was going to be out on location at Simi Valley for Robert Rodriguez's episode. And that is also very real when you're on, on a production set. Yeah. Where um where you're trying to keep things tight, if not secret. For sure. Talking about kind of what they did on set, trying to make Luke look young, they had a bunch of different sort of avenues they were trying to go down. Sure. Towards. The first one was doing what they did in Rogue One, which was 
fully animating a character that was previous from the previous. Yeah, because uh, it was Grand Moff Tarkin, right. and they um they had a a physical actor stand in. But even watching that in the theaters, you could tell, oh, that's a CG character. Yeah, it's a CG character to put on top, and like it was lit well enough that it looked okay mm-hmm. with everyone else. Sure. Um, but like any scene where it was just the character, you could tell. You're like, oh, okay. Uh, Oh, that skin looks rubbery. (laughs) The next one that they were going down towards was deep fake, which is actually, we'll put in, we'll drop in the explanation that John Favreau has right now. No, we won't because it's too goddamn long. It is too goddamn long. He goes on such a tangent about deep fakes. And I don't know if he had to contractually use the Sorcerer's Apprentice Mickey Mouse analogy. (laughs) Much like in the Sorcerer's Apprentice in Fantasia, you have a new technology available to you, just as Mickey had the magic book, and that magic book allowed him to have the mops carry the buckets and do the work for him. And every technology is like that. And there are unintended consequences with new innovations if you don't fully appreciate what these things are capable of. And I think- in the- <laughs> But effectively, deepfake is um, machine learning where you, we mentioned that Landis Fields was um, sort of the deepfake guy, and he was feeding all of this 4K original footage even documentary footage interview footage of mark hamill around this age and time yeah into uh, an ai and and it used machine learning to effectively build out these different facial features and reactions it's similar to leica with when they do their animations of the puppets they literally have they print out every single face way that you can smash the face or move the face around With, with um Marionette Clay- puppets. Cl- yeah, claymation yeah. shit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's effectively the same thing, but you're doing that with a source material of uh, of people's faces. Yes. And like the thing that's kind of unprecedented about this is that they were able that they had access to 4K resolution video uh, or of Luke Skywalker through his entire career to like. It's literally what I just said. No, but, I'm, but what I'm saying is, is that like that's not something that anybody else really had to do this so even even with that spoiler alert they didn't use this effect uh no and it's funny when they're testing it it looks like the the body double for luke is wearing a square um cardboard thing that has one of those mission impossible style <laughs> rubbery masks on it yeah. freaked me out the first time i saw it a youtuber named shamook deep faked after this had come out yes deep faked it on top of that character with not the same source material that that they were working with right and was able to create a, in my opinion, a much better result than what well, they had in what they had in the uh, and they in the kind actual of episode. Get into the like the ethics of deep fakes, and this is something that's concerned me generally. And I feel like uh, I, I I need to find folks who are more plugged in, like journalists or whatever, to follow. Sure, because they make the point that you know no tool is in inher- inherently good or evil it's how you put it to use you know they made jfk talk and president johnson and all these various people that forrest gump meets along the way and i remember uh ken ralston and bob zemeckis and and all the visual effects people who were working on that movie having that very conversation you know in, in the early 90s about like this is really you know we're just sort of starting to crack this technology in a in a kind of remedial way but there's going to come a point where it's going to be so sophisticated that, you know, it could certainly be used in, in really bad ways. We've well, seen in recent years, like some crazy fucking deep fakes on I mean, the internet. Yeah. And the, Favreau goes off into this big fucking tangent about how blockchain can save us from deep fakes. And a, I just, he's a, he's effectively trying to like get us to buy Bitcoin and it's uh, maybe, it's I don't know. I, I don't know enough about it <laughs> to, uh, to really 
um, find the nuggets in what he's saying. But also, he doesn't sound like he knows enough about it to understand it. No, I feel like it, there he there was one point where he was describing Boba Fett's like uh, chain code, chain code, or whatever, and was like comparing that to blockchain. And it was just like maybe that we can find a way to do IDs that's not that, dependent on networks. That. And yeah. there's a these things. Even now, there's blockchain technology. Like we talk about chain codes. My chain code has been encoded in this armor for 25 years. You see, this is me. Boba Fett. We were alluding to that there's a blockchain identification that everybody has. I wonder if certain images or videos that are released in an official capacity could have some kind of a stamp with it. Something when you see something that you know it's real. Oh, uh, I mean, I don't know if he's found out about NFTs yet. Like, you or know, Stanley Nichols. Right. There's he's dipping his toes and I feel like he wants everyone to know it truly, <laughs> but they're talking about, so they, they also go into the de-aging and, and uh, ev eventually go with this company called Lola VFX, which is kind of a weird company name for a de-aging software. It's very Lolita uh, uh, adjacent, sure. which gives me sort of skeevy. Oh, what do you look like when you were younger? Kind of vibes. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I don't, I don't think that's what Lola does not. all the time. I, I think that not. they just sort of perfected it. Cause they're the ones that did the de-aging in Ant-Man and guardians too. Yes. So, and they talk about that. They talk about de-aging Michael Douglas for both of the Ant-Men's. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because they talk about having done it with Michelle Pfeiffer in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And they go, yeah, we did it for Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Lawrence Fishburne. But the scene that they're using is that interesting when hope is a girl and it's yeah. and in the frame is, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, and then the scene cuts to the little girl playing Young Hope, and he says, and Lawrence Fishburne. And I went, that's not Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> Why wow, they really did de-age him. Yeah. <laughs> and they made him a little white girl. They also had to do some casting, because for this, you need to have a picture doubles. Well, and we talked about with Graham Moff Tarkin how they did that. And yeah. I, I just, um, I made the note because I didn't realize that that was the technical term. For the mm -hmm. physical stand-in in um, VFX situations like this. They're yeah. the picture double. Kind of like um, whenever an automobile is used, it's called a picture car. Yeah. We learned that on the Universal Backlot Tour. <laughs> picture doubles are not only just used for VFX. They're used in like action sequences, things like that. Like uh, Scarlett Johansson's double. That's a picture double. They're sure. I just there. didn't yeah, yeah. realize that that was the... The industry. Term. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a uh, it's neat. Uh, his, but his name was Max Lloyd Jones. Yeah, and he looks just like young he Luke really, Skywalker. Really does. Holy shit, it's wild. And like they talked about, it's casting the chin him. dimple for me yeah. and the eye color. Yeah, they they talked about casting it because you can't really put out a cast saying, "Hey, we're looking for a Luke Skywalker." You can't put double. out a Luke Skywalker casting call. No, wait. It's, it's their a casting director put a, put together a lit. Presumably, she had. I would have to imagine this woman who was the casting director. They don't ever mention her name and we could dig for it, but we didn't. Sure. Um, in her head, she's flipping through a visual Rolodex of like people's headshots. Like, all right, who's got the butt chin? Who's got big blue eyes? Who's got high cheekbones? Who's got that sort of like youthful and also it's got to be around the same height. He's got to be kind of like a mid range height yeah. and sort of a slender, but not built build. Uh, yeah, I'm sure she rattled off like six names and then just had some guys come in and they were like, all right, which ones? They were holding up pictures of Mark Hamill. Yeah. And I mean, they didn't tell Max that he was Luke Skywalker until they had him read really, for another role. Yeah. They, they, it wasn't until like very far along in the process that yeah. he realized that that's what he was going to be doing. But with one of the other things that they had to do with Mark, they wanted to capture the performance on his face 
and match the lighting that was happening on set. So they had a thing called the egg, which is similar to kind of like what they do with the volume. Yes. Where it's a bunch of LEDs that are around you that are replicating the light in that situation. Like they do an example of it with fire and it looks like fucking fire. It's so rad. They effectively can render that this egg is on set. So they're, they have Mark Hamill sitting in that while it's happening on stage. While Max is acting and being directed. And it is almost in real time being put on top. Yeah. Like a rough cut for dailies. Right. So and that this they can is see what it looks like. Yeah. Mark Hamill has come in and done all of this in his wardrobe. Right. He'd watch me do the scenes. I watch him do the scenes. So we tried to match each other. I would look at the monitor and of course the image is small, but I thought, Oh my gosh, he looks more like me than me. It was just uncanny. This, this guy. And, and he's a good actor. What I think is more magical than the tech is seeing Mark trying to teach someone to be a younger version of himself. If you really remove all of the tools and all of the processes away from that, it's a very beautiful, enduring thing. He's effectively teaching a younger actor to play Luke Skywalker, and it it, yeah. it all sort of like comes full circle. It's such a magical But he was even saying thing. he was taking cues from that actor as well and trying to match him too. So like there was a there was oh, a common yeah. like gr- like professionalism between actors well, because especially when you think about how much he's playing your character he looks like you um what a dream for an actor to be able to step outside of themselves and look at themselves performing something and go oh that's how i do that yeah or that's not as effective i need to make sure i'm doing it that way like I, that's it's just all around from all sides it feels like it would be a really neat experience to have yeah for sure uh the other thing that they mentioned which was wild and I didn't realize this at all but all of Luke's lines were synthesized. Yeah, same thing they took a lot of uh, they took an audio book, they took interviews, they fed it into a neural network and Yeah, the application was called Respeecher. It's fucking and yeah, wild. It's it's crazy that I didn't I wouldn't even think that they would need to do that but listening to Mark Hamill's kind of grizzled voice a little bit it's not as smooth as no. it was. As well, it was and then. even I went back and rewatched that episode and thought, well, it, it does sound like older Luke Skywalker, but younger Mark Hamill, but does not sound like anything we've heard, but doesn't sound wrong. No. And that's one of the things that Dave Filoni is saying, you know, like there's all these different aspects and we'll get to, you know, the story buildup of, of it in a minute. But there's all of these different things working in concert to sell you on the idea that yeah. that is Luke at that moment. And one of the things that, the VFX supervisor, Abigail starts talking about is, you know, they're capturing, they're doing um, this stuff with the source deck. Cause it's all data. The voice stuff is data. Yeah. The video 4k video of Mark Hamill is dead. It's really interesting to think of sensory experiences as raw data that can be extrapolated and resynthesized by AIs and machine learning and neural network. It's bonkers. Yeah. And Abigail starts talking about, when they're creating these facial expressions and they're using all of this in conjunction with the egg about um, how they have to artistically think about what makes the Luke Skywalker character, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. But the way she says it. <laughs> oh my God. Josh and I both looked at each other at once. I had to pause because we knew that we were going to need to drop this clip in. What makes Luke Luke? What expressions make Luke Luke? What lighting scenarios make Luke Luke? It's really interesting if you go back and look at the footage in every scene and every shot, he looks a little bit different. And when you start getting down to it and you analyze his cheek shape or his nose shape, I mean, he's the same person, but in different lighting scenarios, it can definitely read 
differently. But Luke stop Luke. saying Luke Luke. Luke Luke. How many more times could you say Luke Luke? We said we <laughs> shouted it at the same time. Like how many more times can you say Luke Luke? Luke? Uh, oh, geez. It was bananas. But yeah, so they get into they all of this stuff sort of alchemically creates what we perceive and experience as Luke Skywalker. And yeah. it, it, we get kind of like uh, the note that you had was peak Jedi mode. But that really is it's a 360 experience because it's it's how they told that story. It's how they're putting the character together. And it's how it's balanced against what has to happen in the Mandalorian. Yeah. And it's it's also really kind of interesting to think about how you write a character that and, and Mark all, Mark kind of brings this up that, you know, when we leave Luke at the end of Jedi. Yeah, that's just him realizing himself as a Jedi and not really like seeing what he can do. Like, hey, we've now got this giant muscle car. And we just sort of panned away and we're not on it anymore. He compares it to James Bond. He's like, yeah. if, if if it took three movies to t show you how James Bond got his license to kill and then it stopped there. <laughs> right. And so it's really cool. And I think that that's what, uh, one of the reasons why he was excited to do it, because this is letting that story of that character continue and not just be without left. being about Luke Skywalker. Right. Like we know in that gap of time that Luke Skywalker sort of rose to prominence and then fell right. um, from that prominence, from his own hubris. Um, but it, his point, Mark Hamill's point in the show is um, it's a big gap. And so we get to see realistically, but also through the eyes of all of these other characters mm -hmm. who, again, Dave Filoni points out, don't know who quote unquote Luke Skywalker is. Yeah. And we get to see what that means to them. But also it's filling that it's fulfilling that wish fulfillment that they keep talking about because you're not even getting it firsthand. You're seeing it through screens and down hallways. And yeah, it's just so it's so um, interestingly dynamic the way that they do that. Dave Filoni says every aspect of this is important, right? The buildup of X-Wing to lightsaber to lightsaber color to fighting style to outside the door of the cloak to reveal builds the anticipation that says, I want this. When you want this because you're bought in as the audience, then the face and the voice are going to work better, right? And suddenly you have this fusion moment where the wish fulfillment meets the expectation of the story, what it's telling, and it's just ballistic and it all happens. But Each little piece builds upon yeah. um, the anticipation that you still almost don't believe until that hood drops. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, honestly, like as he was walking down the hallway, I remember turning to Josh and like, that's that's Ben Kenobi. And Josh was like, no, it's not. And then once it gets revealed, I was like, oh, oh, that's right. He's dead. Oh, you know what I mean? Dead. <laughs> like that's, that's kind of, but it's that sort of anticipation that I feel like that's what they wanted. They wanted you to think that it was yes. anybody else. It couldn't be Luke. And that it was. And honestly, the only way that it works is if it count, if they counterbalance it with, Effectively, the biggest emotional moment that this series has had, which is the separation of Grogu and Mando, these two characters that have been together since literally the end of the first episode, episode yeah. of the first season. And um, God bless Werner Herzog for convincing them to use a practical puppet because <laughs> the expressions, even in the behind the scenes when they're like not shooting, the puppeteers are keeping Grogu alive. Right. It's kind of it's disconcerting, but also like I can see why they're doing it. They're keeping that character, keeping you in that moment. You're not just holding a prop. You're holding a person. Well, and you, they would not have been able to land 
the I just don't think a fully CG character would have been able to help land the emotional heft of this. Not at all. Grogu reaching the screen, knowing that that's the Jedi that he's called out to. Yeah. The, the sort of indecisive looking between there at the end when Luke says he's waiting for your permission. Even when Mandalorian pulls off his helmet and Grogu reaches up for hit for at Mando's face, yeah. you can see the like micro twitches that are happening on Mandalorian or, or on, on Grogu's hand. On, well, yeah. On that. And, and on, uh, on Mandalorian's face, Pedro Pascal's face. Yeah. Pedro Pascal. Yeah. You could see like he is reacting to something physically touching, touching him. Yeah. And it's, it just sells like there's yeah, you couldn't have done that with a 3d character. You really couldn't have. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And on top of that, we've got all of these different pieces of lore converging the Jedi master. That is Luke literally wrecking shop against all of these <laughs> um, dark troopers. Um, they mentioned Ahsoka. Ahsoka Tano is technically his senior. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got where all of this fits in with Bo-Katan's story, which has started in Rebels elsewhere and presumably will go on yeah. because now we have to resolve the issue of the Darksaber and, you know, uh, the question of the retaking of Mandalore. But there's just so much that makes this rich and grounded and that helps because they really could have Luke could have been distracting. Yeah. It could have hit the wrong note. And if all of this other stuff wasn't there creating a nice um sort of like mm, scaffolding to hold that moment up um for the balance of Luke Skywalker versus this emotional impact. I just I I don't I think it could have easily fallen apart. Yeah, I mean there's there's a degree of like that can be seen as pandering or fan service if like you're just bringing a character back and like this really that they they really did a good job of making it be like well it has to be luke like mm-hmm. it has to be and like it's sort of and it's believable there's no plot holes into bringing him back no you know what i mean and it's not to say that like mandalorian season three or or the other spinoffs that they're going to do like i don't think there's going to be a huge luke skywalker component to it especially with how no. hard it was to do this one scene i think that they're they're we will see him again, mm. but I don't think we're going to see him through a whole series. I honestly kind of, you know, we've gotten a recast Han, which got mixed reactions. We enjoyed it. Yeah. I think that there's potentially a world where we get a recast Luke and a recast Leia. Yeah. And we see some of what happened in the interim between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. Yeah, and honestly, like thinking about Solo and like how that was, they opted not to de-age him and and you know mm-hmm. put him in that role. Like, I believe that there's enough of a gap that you know. And it was fine. He was fine. I think people just the the uh, it, it's his own episode, but <laughs> Solo was undermined. I think in its marketing because it was mm-hmm. marketed like a Star Wars film and not like the space western that it was. Right. And in that it was going up against Infinity War in terms of public perception and uh, energy from the studio. Yeah. And to that point, like we haven't seen on screen a young Han Solo at that age. So like, yeah, it, it, having a re having a, a recast it as another actor kind of makes sense. We do have footage of Luke Skywalker at that age. Yeah. So like it, 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 this was something that they had to do. And, and I, and again, like, I think that they, they, they made it believable enough to where, yeah, you could see that it was a little glossy. You could see that it was a little, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a real face. You know what I mean? 
Sure. You could still tell, but at the same time, but it they, was enough. And they also make the point that when they're talking about the ethics of deep fake and how, you know, this stuff could be used uh, nefariously, yeah. I think it might've been a creative choice to uh, sort of land on the other side of the uncanny Valley yeah. with this and to make it look just a little bit fake because how unsettling would it have been if it were that realistic? Yeah. The other, the other side of it too, is that like, you know, this is a taking away from the artists that are doing this sort of thing. You're, you are effectively taking old material that may, uh, and a lot of defect is using material. That's not Disney's like mm. a lot of that. A lot of those pictures, videos and things like that. Like they were talking about from interviews. Yeah. Disney may own a lot of that stuff. But like the deep fakes that the, the YouTuber was making was pulling all of that data from every possible source that they could. And that uh, in and of itself causes legal issues to begin with because oh, you're using sure. that artwork or, or, you know, whatever someone else that copyright creative that production. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like it, by doing it all in house and doing the de-aging process, that is something that is theirs. They did all of that. Absolutely. But yeah, that's, I, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's definitely interesting. But the episode kind of wraps up with them talking about how much it, it meant to them. John Favreau talks a little bit about like, you know, I, I, I took a step out of myself and, and realized, <laughs> you know, what was happening and what I was watching. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, Dave Filoni talks about Grogu and R2 meeting and how iconic a moment that is to create when R2 comes up and then even like Luke interacting with Grogu yeah. becomes a very iconic moment but still carries its own. Yeah. It's, it doesn't, it becomes its own thing that can exist and doesn't detract from what has come and the story that they're trying to tell now. Well, and while I do think that there is something to be said with a degree of oversaturation in the market for what's happening here, I still am really excited to see what else Disney plus does with the star Wars franchise for sure. And I, if, if Marvel, if the stuff that Marvel is doing with their TV shows and, and sort of using those to fill gaps that, you know, and, and use different modes of storytelling. Like I'm all on board for that. And like, you know, we, we've, we've gotten a lot of that, especially with star Wars. We've got a lot of that through animation. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just excited to see a lot of the, uh, you know, live action Absolutely. stuff that they can do in this place. Yeah. When they talk about, you know, the, the reaction and what this means to fans, like John talks about, you know, we live in a time where you can immediately find out how somebody feels about something. And, <laughs> It goes on about blue check marks on Twitter. Like it <laughs> really, it really feels kind of like a, like a Gen X or like, I don't know y'all. And it's just, okay, John, calm down. But, um, <laughs> but you know, he talks about having sent some of the reaction videos to Mark to watch. Yeah. Cause I can understand someone like Mark Hamill who um, might want as much as he talks about loving the fans and the fandom and how he wouldn't be where he is without them. Yeah. Um, I can understand how someone wants a healthy distance from the visceral reaction. Yeah. He's definitely, he understands social media to, but to I don't point. think he's reading all the comments. Is my no, point. not at all. And so it, it's just really interesting and, and fun to watch him yeah. um, react to other people's reactions. John sent me links to reaction videos, which were just, you know, cause I don't get to see these things in the audience to see grown men cry and just the people screaming their heads off. I mean, it was really, really thrilling for me to see them enjoying it so much. One last thing that I had that was just funny to me was John Favreau talks about Star Wars being an Star Wars being an intergenerational experience, like how his dad 
took him to the first one. And now people today, his age are showing their kids, star Wars. And yeah. um, Dave Filoni talks about, you know, Oh, Grogu is going to be for uh, other people. What, you know, Yoda and R2 were for me. Yeah. And I was just like, yo, I didn't get this from my mom. Um, <laughs> Cause <laughs> like she gave, li- I literally got my love of star Wars from my mother in that she bought me the VHS three box, like three VHS yeah. box set. But a woman alive never hated science fiction so much. She Here's literally ended Star Wars. Literally that she has she ended a relationship uh, later in her life over, over not wanting to watch the, the fifth, fifth element. element. Yeah, yeah. Um, which that's is funny. Whole... Which is funny because you don't want to watch it now because of that story, which is kind of funny because like I'll it'll be on or something <laughs> like that, and I'd be like, hey, you want to watch this? No, and then it, I I get then launched back into that story again. And, but you know it's and it's fine. I'm just saying uh, there are some things that are very clear that I very clearly got from my mother. My love of science fiction is not one of them. No. Well, do you got any final thoughts here, Josh? No, just I mean we we hadn't really talked about Mando much at all, like outside of like our Star Wars episode at the beginning of the year over yeah. the hiatus, and um, this new episode came out and. It was just interesting to to dive into the behind the scenes of it and to learn a little bit more about film production, especially when it comes to VFX and deep fakes and yeah. de-aging and all of that. It's just, it's neat. Even if you're not a big Star Wars fan necessarily, like this is interesting, I think, in terms of learning about movie making. Yeah. And it, I mean, if, it, and if you're enjoying these sort of like these last two episodes, we've kind of divvied from the, the model a little bit. If you're yeah. enjoying this sort of thing, if you like the smaller formats that we, that we, uh, we're kind of testing the waters here. Let us know, you know, like that's uh and I mean, immediately if you want more and you're not already a member, you can head over to patreon.com slash making mischief where yes. a lot of our Patreon content is like this, where we, we s- sort of sm- focus down a little bit or um, nitpick uh, in a different way, a little bit more loosey goosey. And in fact, our next episode is going to be a little bit more what if coverage. So if yeah. you liked our coverage uh, last time of the captain Carter episode of what if um, we're going to talk about episodes two and three, on our latest uh, Patreon drop, but you can get content from all of the other shows on yeah. the network. Um, and it's not just audio. There's video and art and all sorts of other stuff there again at patreon.com slash making mischief. Yeah. If they wanted to find uh, me on social media, where would they do that? Josh, they could do that at C L N C Y on Twitter and Instagram. And if they wanted to find me on social media, where could they do that? Clancy, uh, they would do that on t- t- Twitter and Instagram as well at Josh watching TV without the G. Yes. And you can find the show at nonplus pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can email us suggestions at nonpluspod.com If you've got some thoughts about any of our hot takes or some things that you want us to watch, go ahead and shoot them over there. And as always rate review, subscribe and follow on your podcasting platform of preference so that we can help game that algorithm yeah. and get our sultry voices into more ear holes. <laughs> oh yeah. This is a, this was a good episode. I like this. It was this. a good episode. Nice and low key. Yeah. Well, that over there is my husband, Josh. And that over there is my husband, Clancy. And we're non plus. We are non plus. Meow, meow, meow. No, that's the wrong. It's not. What it, is it? Oh, um, it, uh, nope, that's Black Panther. Um, uh-huh. what's the, uh, uh, oh, uh, fuck. Meow, meow, meow. Yeah, it's. I'm trying uh, to remember how the cat does it. players who I know, are following I'm tr- just I, don't, I know I'm trying to remember what that is because it's like it's
that's a specific. They didn't actually announce um, Rosario Dawson as a soccer. So- they didn't actually announce Rosario Dawson. Remember, get an extra 20% off your $50 subscription to Knowable with code nonplussed and enjoy hundreds of hours of educational content ad free. Just download the Knowable app and use the code nonplussed for 20% off your subscription. Again, download the Knowable app and use code nonplussed when subscribing for 20% off. Knowable comprehensive podcast style audio courses for the curious mind and for cutie patooties like you. Oh,